invite you to turn over in your bulletin to page three. You'll see our, our scripture reading there as, whether, as well as a, an outline of our message this morning. Uh, and it's also the outline for next week because it's going to be part one, part two. Uh, so a little preview towards the bottom. Uh, we're transitioning to a new section of the book of Ephesians. If you've been with us over the last months, we've been working our way through the book of Ephesians. Paul's now entering into a new section with verse 22. Uh, he's addressing what would be the, the main players in a, in a household of his day. Uh, so wives and husbands, parents and children, servants and masters. Uh, so addressing them with the specific and relevant uh, instruction from the Lord for them. But what we'll discover is that though it's a, a new section in many ways, there's a lot that isn't new. Paul is really echoing the very same theme he's been preaching since his application section began in chapter 4, which is uh, the focus of the Christian life is all about uh, Jesus flowing through into daily life. It's all about having the gospel be the theme, not only of the very beginning, but of each and every day. And we'll see that again as we think about marriage together this week and next week. So we're going to begin begin reading. We'll actually begin reading uh, up in uh, verse 18, though our, our focus will begin on 22. Uh, even though in, the, in your English Bible there, uh, verse 22 begins a new sentence, it's actually a sentence that, that first starts in verse 18. All one sentence, uh, from 18 uh, all the way down to through 24. A uh, little extra credit homework assignment. You can ask yourself how the filling of the Spirit connects to uh, our, our work as husbands and wives. Uh, see if you can make that connection uh, for extra credit this afternoon. Uh, but let's just read together uh, from God's Word, Ephesians 5, 18 through uh, 33. This is God's Word. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, and giving thanks always for and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, uh, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without any spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray together. 
Father, we do ask for the power of your spirit, the filling of your spirit, to use your word to encourage and strengthen and teach and equip your people. Uh, Even right here in this place, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So how good are you at telling stories? I know we all have a friend who is the storyteller. Can you picture that friend in your life? The one who's just just a master at it. Away with words, a flair for the dramatic, just loves to tell story after story. And most of the time, you don't mind if he keeps telling the stories. Uh, or she does. Because they're good at it. You've heard that one before? That's okay. Tell it again. Because it's just that entertaining. The storyteller. How good are you t- at telling stories? Well, here's the thing. The Bible says that we are all storytellers. All of us. Not because you have a way with words or I have a flair for the dramatic, but because we're Christians. If you're in Christ, you're a storyteller. Because your life, by very nature of your salvation, is connected to Jesus, connected to his story. And so your, your life is now uh, bound up with his story. So the Christian life then becomes that everything you do, everything you say, everything, every relationship that you have is a reflection of and a telling of his story. That's how it's designed. And that's especially how marriage is designed. A telling of a greater story. Because at the very core of it, God's story is a marriage. It's a love story. It's the marriage made in heaven. What did Paul tell us in Ephesians? But before the foundation of the world, God sets his love upon his people. That he he sets his love upon his bride. And he determines that that his bride, his people, will be his for all eternity. And then that marriage made in heaven then actually also gets established on earth as God achieves this, uh, this, uh, this bringing of his bride to himself by sending his son, uh, the bridegroom himself, coming to earth, uh, living, dying for his bride. And then through his word and his spirit, sanctifying, cleansing, perfecting, so that for all eternity, this bride can be spotless with him for all eternity in heaven. That's God's story. And what God designs our marriages to be is a retelling of that story, is a reflection of it, a declaring of it to one another and to the world around us. That's how he built it from the ground up. And we can never understand truly what we're to be about in the midst of our marriage unless we see how it's a reflection of his greater story. And that's what Paul gives us, right? He has to break in immediately to say, this is about Christ in the church. And that's what we're going to look at this week. And then again, next week, Uh, we won't be able to get to all of it. I hope you you are able to, to come back because there's the, the pieces really can't be separated. So you'll see that towards the bottom, for example, there's a lot of tough 
situations and tough questions that we're going to get into. What happens if a marriage isn't so satisfying? What happens worse than that if a marriage is oppressive, abusive? Those are important questions, and we're going to talk about them next week. But not because it's not essential, but because we just can't cover everything at once. But we're going to make a, a good start of it this week. And we'll ask ourselves how God is encouraging us and training us to be better storytellers. So let's, let's launch in. First thing we discover is that the greater marriage rules our roles. So the greater marriage rules our, our roles within marriage. Uh, within any good story, there are different roles. So you go to a theater to take in a stage play, you know going into it that the actors on the stage are going to be portraying different roles, different characters. If every actor played the same part, the story, story wouldn't make sense. There would be no story. You expect every good story to have different roles. And so it is with the story uh, that, that God is telling throughout, throughout all of creation and that our marriages reflect. And so uh, here Paul lays out the, the cast list, as it were. Playing the part of the bride is the bride. Playing the part of the groom is the groom. Uh, playing the part of the bride of Christ, the church, is the wife. Reflecting the role uh, of the bridegroom Christ himself is the husband. Not identical to those things, but reflecting, uh, shadowing, telling the story. And one of the things we see immediately is that these roles, they're not identical or interchangeable. You couldn't tell God's story without it. Because God's story uh, has these beautifully distinct roles in it. And of course, the different roles within marriage goes all the way back to the beginning. Yeah, that's why it was helpful for us to read from Genesis 2. Uh, did, you, did you catch how God creates marriage here as he creates the first man and the first woman? <clears throat> that description of their Adam, the man by himself, it wasn't good that Adam was alone. He needed someone else, a, a partner for the work that God had called him to. Uh, but very carefully we're told that it wasn't someone identical to him. Uh, like him, but different. That was what he needed. Or, as, as God said it, I will make a helper fit for him. Or even more literally, a helper corresponding to him. Or a helper like opposite him. So someone like him, but different. Not identical, but essential differences in order for the partnership to work the way it's supposed to. And as Paul then will clarify, because it's telling a story of, of distinct parts within God's greater story of, of marriage. But perhaps it's helpful to, uh, as we launch into these different roles, uh, the wife and the, and the husband, it's helpful to clarify something from, uh, from Genesis here. Because we hear God establishing in the very beginning uh, these differences, the man and a helper corresponding to him. It's, it's really helpful to understand 
what Paul, what God means and doesn't mean by a helper corresponding to, especially that word helper, because because we can use that in different ways in English that are not necessarily reflected at all in Hebrew. So, for example, we can use it in this context. Your, your five-year-old asks if they can assist you in the home improvement project. And you respond to your five-year-old, sure, buddy, you can be daddy's little helper. Here, you can hold the hammer. And, and when I need the hammer, you can hand it to me. You'll, you'll be daddy's helper. That, that's English. That is not how the Bible uses the word helper. Never. Not once. Use your Bible, use your concordance. Never. Instead, you know how the Bible uses the word helper? Always? Well, it's context like this. Psalm 54. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. That term helper is not, oh, daddy's little helper. I'll humor you. Not really essential, but close by. No, no, no. Helper, biblically, has this connotation of strong, essential, powerful. So as, as wives, as you think about your role within marriage, and husbands, as you think of your wife's role, no, it's not identical to yours, but it's most definitely not daddy's helper. It is that picture of strong, essential, powerful. But then you get to Ephesians 5, and Paul's expounding on this Genesis creation difference. The man and the helper corresponding to him. And he gets gives more of the specifics, that the, the husband's role is going to be to reflect Christ. And so he says, verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So the husband is playing the role of head in the marriage because Christ is the head of his church. Head there has that idea of leadership, a sense of real authority, because that's the what Christ has in the midst of his church. Although we should be really careful, Paul gives us a little hint of what he's going to expound on in a few verses later, that Christ redefines notions of authority, because he says Christ is the head, but he immediately says, and is himself its savior. Christ's headship authority takes this form of focal point in saving through dying. Sacrifice, dying. Paul's getting us a hint. More on that later. So, the husband plays the role of head, portraying Christ. The wife's role as strong helper portrays the church. Verse 24. Now, as the church submits to Christ so also should wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Um, and you see, now we're transitioning into what, what this looks like, and Paul's going to get into his commands to each one, so we're, we're going to use this to transition to our, to our second point. Uh, so not only does the, the greater marriage, the greater love story, rule the roles in our marriage, in our love stories, uh, it also then controls the commands. Because Paul gives specific commands to each 
uh, individual player in the story, uh, in the marriage. Uh, and so to wives, the, the strong helper, he's, the, the commands that come are those of wives submit to your husbands, wives respect your husbands. Wives submit to your husbands. Does that sound provocative? It certainly is to our culture. Uh, it probably feels difficult, maybe confusing, to many of us. And that makes sense. This is, this is not easy. None of this that Paul is laying out is easy, that God is laying out is easy. Uh, so we should then get ourselves to ask the question, what, what exactly do we mean uh, by biblical submission? Well, in one sense, we can, we can back it up and realize it's a, it's a broader theme within God's uh, ordering of his world. Uh, it reflects God's ordering of creation in, in multiple spheres of life. Uh, that God, in his rule over his world, uh, appoints human leaders to exercise authority in various spheres of life. And then those who are, who are under authority are called to submit. It's, that, it's the idea, submission, that idea of acting and thinking and voluntarily coming under the authority that God has placed over you. Uh, to, to follow, respect, obey the authorities that God has placed over you. It's something that we are all called to do in a whole number of spheres of life. So, Scripture repeatedly says that all of us are, are called to submit to the civil authorities. So, you, me, uh, your neighbor, we're called to submit to the mayor, the governor, uh, the president, legislators, civil authorities that God has placed to order his world, we're called to submit to them. That means that we're called to... Uh, as those under those authority to honor and respect them uh, and to and to obey their laws in that sphere as those who have been put in that position of authority even if we don't always agree with it or like it we're called to submit to the civil authorities scripture also says that we're called to submit to the leaders in the church and so first peter 5 be subject to the elders same word be subject to, submit to the elders. In other words, in the sphere of the church, there also God orders authorities and leadership. Uh, in this case, the elders of the church. And God appoints them, and those who are, who are within that body are called to submit to uh, the leadership of the church. In fact, if you're a, if you're a member of Emmanuel or a, or a church uh, like her, then you took a vow as a part of joining the church that you would submit in the Lord to the government of this church. You took a vow to submit, as did I. And, I, and when I took my ordination vows. Because we're both under the authority of spiritual leaders, and we're called to submit to them. So you start to see this, this idea of submission is something that's broadly given in a whole number of spheres of, of life, which, which helps us address some of the the concerns that we often have about submission within marriage. So, for example, one understandable concern, but that we can address through these through these connections and analogies is would be this one. Hold it. Doesn't submission imply inferiority? Doesn't submission imply inferiority? So 
If you're the one who's called to submit and obey an authority, doesn't that mean you're inferior to them? Well, would you say that I am inferior to the mayor of Medford? That I have reason to feel that I'm less than the mayor? No. I am called to submit to him. He's in civil authority over me as a citizen of this town. I'm called to submit to him. But there's no reason for me to feel inferior to him. It's just in, a, in that sphere of life, we have different roles. And I'm called to submit to him. So, no, submission in no way implies inferiority. It's a reflection of different roles in different spheres. Similarly, we start to see how submission does not imply uh, unthinking or slavish obedience. Submission does not imply unthinking or slavish obedience. So I'm called to submit to the mayor of Medford to obey uh, his leadership. But if he commands me to do something that scripture says is sin, then I respectfully but definitively say no. On this, Mr. Mayor, I obey God rather than men. And that's true of all relationships where we're called to submit to those in authority. It's not unthinking or slavish obedience. It's, it's seeing it very much in connection to God's commands. And we'll talk more about some of those difficult situations within marriage specifically next week. But we can start to get the, the lay of the land here. And it starts to connect us to what it looks like within, within marriage. We connect it to other spheres of life in which we are called to submit to those in authority. We also note very carefully, though, that Paul in Ephesians 5 doesn't just tell wives to, uh, to submit to their husbands because it makes sense, but because of Christ, right? because of Jesus. Verse 22, submit as to the Lord. Or verse 21, uh, submitting out of reverence for Christ. So the, it's, the, it's the greater marriage that controls the command, that guides and influences and fuels the command. And so the, the Christian wife willingly follows and honors the lead of her husband because her eyes are on the greater story, uh, the greater marriage, out of, out of reverence for Christ, the ultimate one who, who, who cares perfectly and leads perfectly. It's out of reverence for Christ and wanting to honor him and, and shine forth his glory and, and reflect the calling of, of the church to, uh, to in every, every part of their lives, uh, the Christians uh, coming under the authority of Christ. So wives in the midst of marriage, in every different uh, area of life, uh, willing to submit to the one God has put in leadership over them. And so when a wife, a Christian wife, submits to her husband, she gives this tangible expression that ultimately her trust is in Christ. Uh, trust in Christ who, not at all coincidentally, himself walked the road of submission. Think about that. The one uh, who rules the story, the ultimate bridegroom, did his, his earthly saving work in the context of himself submitting. And so uh, 
in the incarnation, uh, we read very specifically in Luke 2 that there is, as a young man, Jesus, we're told, Luke 2, 51, he submitted to his parents. Think of that. Here's the Lord of glory. He takes on human flesh, and in that in that state of, of incarnation, he, the spotless one, submits to flawed, fallen Mary and Joseph. He walks the road of submission. Uh, Jesus, in his most powerful work to, to win his bride, submits to the will of his father. Remember him, him as Paul says it in Philippians, right? He, he's obedient even to death on a cross. Obedient even to death on a cross. And he stands before uh, that, that cross and he says, not my will, but your will be done. So Christ in his incarnation, he walks this road of submission. So if you're ever wondering if, if submission has dignity to it, has value to it, look at Jesus. And so it is out of reverence for Christ and reflection of the calling of the, the church to reflect Christ and to follow Christ uh, that a wife has this great hope and great calling uh, of following the lead of her husband. Uh, wives, your great hope is not that your husband is flawless or perfect, but your great hope is in the Savior uh, who is spotless, the Savior who does uphold you at every point, and you shine forth that glory uh, in, in your calling. So the greater marriage controls the command. So we did the, the, the role of the, the wife in calling to submit, respect, honor her husband. Now, the second command, uh, the second command to, to the second role to husbands uh, we're going to spend a lot more time on this next week. Paul spends a lot more time on it. But we want to we give a little introduction to it uh, this week. I think it's very important that we, we didn't do just one message on wives and one message on husbands. Uh, that could give you the idea that you could, you could understand one without the other, and you can. One does not make sense without the other. And so I thought, we, we got to reflect that by making sure we talk about both uh, together. And so we're going to at least introduce the, the command to the husbands today. Maybe we can put it uh, in terms of a homework assignment, something to ponder and, and wrestle with this week uh, for all of us, but particularly the men, wrestling with being shocked by, perhaps, what it is that God says to husbands the command that he gives them, uh, the, the word that he uses, not once, but six times in these few verses. Maybe put it this way. Maybe it's wrestling with and being surprised by what Paul does not command here, does not say. You might think he could have, but he doesn't. Okay, so he's just finished talking to wives. He's clearly established that within marriage, there is role of leadership and following. There is role of authority and one under authority. Wives, submit to your husbands. Uh, husband is head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. So he's clearly established that aspect of authority and leadership. Then he turns to the husbands and he doesn't say, husbands, exercise authority. 
He doesn't say it. Not because there's no authority, not because there's no leadership, but that, that command, exercise authority, misses the very ethos of what the husband is to be and to do. It's wrapped up in a very different word, though not altogether divorced from authority. It's wrapped up in this powerful word that he repeats six different times, love. Love. And not just any kind of love. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. The very heart of, of a Christian husband's leadership is bound up with loving as Christ loved. This sacrificial, dying kind of love. Can you see how Paul here is reflecting what Jesus himself taught? Okay, you, you have the passage from Mark that we just read a few minutes ago, just right above it. And here is Jesus, and Jesus is talking about leadership. You might even remember the, the context of that, that uh, Mark passage. It's James and John coming to him and wanting to be those who sit on Jesus' right hand and left hand in the kingdom. Those positions of authority, those positions of honor, right hand, left hand. And Jesus, he gathers the whole group of disciples together. They all have to get this straight. And then he tells them about leadership within his kingdom. What does he say? Verse 42. You know that those who consider rulers are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Can you see the connection to what Paul's saying? That, that leadership, all kinds of Christian leadership in the kingdom, but, but marriages most definitely. Uh, leadership, don't do it like the Gentiles, Jesus says. It's not about lording over if so, you've missed it completely. Just like Paul, Jesus then points to himself. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. It's because in marriage, the husband is telling Jesus' story. So he cannot, he dare not do it like the Gentiles. It's not their story he's telling. It's Jesus' story. And look how Jesus leads. Steps into the world, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life. Years ago, I, I went to a, a men's retreat. Another church was giving a retreat and it was all on, all on marriage and addressing the guys and and studying passages like we have today, Genesis 2, Ephesians 5, and we talked about all this good stuff that's here. And there was a, there was a guy at this, this retreat taking all this in, drives home, walks through the door of his house, and announces to his entire family, there is a new sheriff in town. 
Did, did he miss something? Did he miss everything? Because he missed Jesus. Maybe that's walking through the door and telling the story of the Gentiles and how they do leadership. But that's not Jesus' story. Right? The Jesus story is stepping into the door of this world and becoming servant of all and laying down his life. And so the calling of, of each husband is, is not to walk through the door and announce authority, but walk through the door and lay down your life. We'll talk more about that next week and how Paul expounds on it and, and talks about why and where it's directed and talk about some of the challenging parts of it within marriage. But let's close just with some encouragement. Paul presents this challenging calling of, of being husbands and wives uh, very, very specifically. It tells this greater story, which gives you and me such great encouragement and hope. Because if it's not just about me and it's not just about you, if it's really about telling God's story, it means God has something invested in our marriage. In fact, in a very real way, God has more invested in your marriage than you do. Because he has his glory invested in it. He has his very plan for all of history invested in it. So you can be quite sure that his, the power of his spirit and the upholding strength of his word uh, will be at work in that very place where he has his glory invested. So that should give us encouragement. That should give us hope. It doesn't mean, as we'll get to next week, that it's always easy. In fact, sometimes it's very much less than easy. And you might find yourself in a marriage where there is very little sacrificial dying love. In that sense, and in those cases, and really in all of our marriages, the greater story gives us hope because that is our ultimate hope. That is our ultimate upholding and strength. Uh, it's that we have a Lord, we have a, a Savior who's spotless, who has laid down his life for us, uh, whose love will never let us down. In fact, it will satisfy for all eternity. There's our hope, even when the hopes of this world uh, look dark and let us down. So we let the earthly things point us to something even better, uh, and we look to him for strength. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would uphold and strengthen your people, that you would give, Lord, the, the flooding power of your grace and mercy in every relationship that you call us to, but Lord, we, we do pray specifically that you would uphold us as husbands and wives currently, as those uh, who will someday be uh, husbands and wives, and, and Lord, for all of us, as we get to be a part of that great story as being the, the bride of Christ. 
Lord, show us your truth and your goodness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.